0: Thank you, Brother Jay, for that uh, update. Blessings to you all as we have gathered to worship. And may we be blessed as we look into God's Word again. The title of the message today is Whatever He saith unto you, do it. Now let's go back a little bit in history. We usually think about This little background around Christmas time. uh, The angel came to Mary while she was still single. And she told Mary that you're highly favored of the Lord. And you're going to conceive and bring forth a son. And he shall be called Jesus. He shall be called the son of the highest and of his kingdom there shall be no end can you imagine how Mary must have felt when first of all being in the presence of an angel i would think would unnerve you or would me and then to realize that, that she was being told that she was going to be the mother of someone whose kingdom there would be no end and I'm sure she pondered this announcement from the angel. <clears throat> and she had questions in her mind, like we do today, when we read God's Word, when we pray, when the Holy Spirit speaks unto us. You know, we, we have questions. Well, how is this going to work in my life and in my situation? And so she, Mary asked the question. How shall these things be, seeing I don't know a man? I don't have a man. I don't know a man. I'm not married. And how's this going to happen? And the angel said, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. So notice here, the Trinity is involved. The Holy Ghost is going to uh, come upon thee. God the Father shall overshadow thee. And then the Holy One, which is Jesus, shall be born. And the angel also added to what she was telling Mary, because she knew Mary was pondering all this stuff and wondering how it was going to work. And she just cut the slack, got right to the point, and said, With God, nothing shall be impossible. And that's what we should conclude today. With God, nothing shall be impossible. And so the angel was waiting on Mary's response, so to speak. From this announcement and from all that the angel was telling her that this was going to happen, then the angel was waiting on her response. And it's a beautiful response. She said, "Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it according unto thy word. That should be our response. when we don't know the future, when we don't know what's going to happen we can trust God that no, nothing shall be impossible. So let's let's fast forward a little bit. J- Joseph and Mary were born, and Jesus was born and born. And um, I'm sure Mary, as she watched this baby Jesus grow into a child, into a teenager, Going toward his teen years, she watched him. And don't you know, when, when they was up to the temple and on the way back, they couldn't find him. And when they found him, he said, didn't you know, I must be about my father's business. And he was only 12 years old when he said he must be about my father's business. And the Bible says that his mother kept all these things in her heart. And I believe that she continued to keep those sayings in her heart as she pondered Jesus and watched him in his teen years and as he went into his adult years and as he began his ministry. And so now, let's say he began his ministry and Jesus and his mother were invited to the wedding at the Canaan of Galilee. And Jesus' mother, Mary, found out that they were running out of wine, which uh, I'm assuming was a rare thing. Usually at a wedding, the preparations go beyond the anticipation. But here they ran out of wine. And Mary, knowing Jesus, watching Jesus, as he began his ministry, had full confidence in Jesus. So she concluded, well, Jesus has the answer to the problem. So she goes over to Jesus privately and says, hey, they're running out of wine. And Jesus says, well, why are you coming to me? This is, you know, this is not my problem or why are you trying to involve me? You know, he said, it's not my time yet. In other words, Jesus, I believe, was saying, "It's not. I'm not in my full-fledged ministry yet, so why, why are you involving me? So Mary, in her wisdom, dropped it. She just went to the servants, and here's the title of the message, Whatever he says unto you, do it. Mary didn't know what Jesus would do. She didn't know what he would say. But she knew he had the perfect answer and the perfect solution. And the same is true with us today. Now today, Mary is not telling us that, but we have the Holy Spirit telling us. Whatever Jesus says to you, do it. And and that's in the form of God's holy inspired word as we read it every day. And today I want to briefly look at the Sermon on the Mount, chapters Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and I'm not going to keep you beyond normal time. I'm not trying to. But I want to give you an overview of the Sermon on the Mount, and I want you to think about, when we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, That's it's Jesus speaking to you and to me. Now, back in 2003, my wife and I and Samuel were in... Uh, the Smoky Mountains. And we were in, I believe, Pigeon Ford at a museum. And this museum had a room which was called the Sermon on the Mount. And it had a tremendous crowd of people, waxed figures on this sermon portraying Jesus teaching the Sermon on the Mount. And I wish you could have seen the expressions on these people's faces, on these wax figures, as as Jesus was teaching the Sermon on the Mount. And here in the end of chapter 7, it says, And it came to pass when Jesus ended these sayings, the people were astonished... And I saw that on these faces in this museum. And, okay, if you all were astonished this morning, and I would start over here and start looking at all your faces, you would have a different expression. Each one of you would have a different expression in your, the way that you reveal your astonishment. And that's exactly the way it was on these waxed figures. There was looks of astonishment, there was looks of eagerness, there was looks of anticipation, and there was looks of what whatever I mean they were there was nobody asleep. They were bright-eyed and they just couldn't wait. You got that expression on their face, they couldn't wait what Jesus was telling them. and, and can we grasp that in our day? That Jesus is telling us all these things for our good. So let's let's dive in here on the Sermon on the Mount, on the chapter 5. And of course, he, he starts out with the Beatitudes. Isn't that a blessing? He didn't start out about judgment. He didn't say how you should treat others. He didn't say... Uh, <clears throat> What you should be doing. He started out with blessing. And, let's, and the Beatitudes are a series of blessings. <clears throat> and that he, and this morning I won't be able, to, I won't take time to read the entire Sermon on the Mount, but we will just look at, at the sections as we go through it. And and think about that the sermon that the beatitudes are similar to the fruit of the spirit in as it is not talking about necessarily nine different people, but nine facets of characteristics of one person. See, the, the fruit of the spirit should be evidenced in all of us, all the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. And this is sort of the way the Beatitudes are. And so it says, and of course my wife and I and the group on this trip, we were on the mount where Jesus taught the Beatitudes. It says, He went up into a mountain, and when He was set, His disciples came unto Him, and He opened His mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. And these Beatitudes uh, have a, a, a blessing. Uh, have a, um, let me back up. They they have a promise and they have an explanation. And it says, when it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It says, blessed are they that are pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's a promise. Later on it says, blessed are those which are persecuted for righteousness' sakes, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So our takeaway from the Beatitudes can be that we always maintain an effort to be pure in heart and to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Then the next, following that, he goes into the next thing of salt and light says ye are the salt of the earth who are the salt of the earth it's those that practice the beatitudes if they practice the beatitudes as Jesus outlined them they're salt and light and he goes on to say that at the end of the salt and light Section, verse 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And that's something we need to always keep in mind in maintaining our life. See, the devil tempts us to do good works so that we can get some recognition or we can get some honor or... or, Prestige. But here Jesus is telling them that you do your good works to glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, following that, verse 17, after the Beatitudes and the results of the Beatitudes. He he, it says. it simply says, "Think not that I am come to destroy the law of the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill." And you see, that was a big issue in Jesus' day. The scribes and Pharisees say, "But the law says this, and we need to do this." And, but but and, it, and Jesus, they claimed, was doing something. Cron- Contrary to the law, but Jesus very plainly says here, he didn't come to do away with or destroy the law, but he came to fulfill the law, to bring the law to prefer, to fruition. And he, so it's interesting to look. Now he starts going down through the commandments here, and he, he, he says, uh, and he says things like you verse 21 you have heard that it had been said of them of old time well he's referring to the 10 commandments that Moses gave in the old testament <clears throat> he said let's see Thou shalt not kill, and whoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. Now, this is the fulfilling of that law. You know, murder in the Old Testament had its consequences and, and, and so on. And they had their cities of refuge if it was a mistake. But now, Jesus is bringing it current. That murder and anger and being angry are kind of on the same plane. Notice how murder and anger are related to each other. And I can just see those those waxed figures there in Tennessee. They were just just soaking it up. They did a tremendous job of, of displaying, I believe, Jesus uh, teaching the Sermon on the Mount. And, you know, in our minds we say, well, how is murder and anger, anger you know, so, so similar? Why did Jesus say that? It's because he is showing the seriousness if we have hate for one another, and it's also reminding us God is love, and if we are the children of God, we will we will do what we can to uh, practice love and not. Get involved into anger and in what it brings. <clears throat> and he also gives admonition in verse twenty-five, thinking about anger, murder. He says, "Agree with that adversary quickly." In other words, he's saying, "Going the second, go to the second mile if you have to." So you agree, get this issue settled. Then he goes into verse 27 and 30 in chapter 5. He talks about adultery. And there again, he said, You know, you heard of old time. And he was referring to people in, that commit the act in adultery. But he says, I say unto you, he who looks on a woman. Now he didn't stop there. Notice he, that he didn't stop, say, who looks on a woman? But he said, who looks on a woman and lusts us after her? There's where the problem comes in. And so that's that's the challenge for us today. It's, it, it's Jesus is telling how the law translates in our day that it's in our heart and our response from our heart. Is what Jesus is trying to impact is is the reality of how we're going to be judged before God. How how is it in our hearts? And that's why he said in the Beatitudes, the pure in heart will see God. And he also points out that if you have a problem with with looking lustfully, then you need to take drastic measures. It's for your spiritual benefit. Then he comes to the next issue of divorce. And again, he uses that term. But I say unto you, And, let's, let, and someday you ought to just sit down when you have some time and just read chapters 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, and, and just sit there and soak it up as Jesus talking to you. That, that's, that was, that's a beautiful thing. Just soak it up. Whatever he says unto you, do it. You know, sometimes we come to the Scripture and we feel that we feel that we feel some condemnation because we feel we we can't be per we're not perfect. But let's just open ourselves up. Don't come to the Scripture with a guilty attitude. Just come to it to be blessed. See Jesus started out he wasn't condemning he started out with the beatitudes said blessed are you if you do this or that it's your choice and you can be blessed as you follow the teachings of Jesus <clears throat> then he goes on to oath and uh, verses 33 37 and he's he's saying that you don't have to have to uh, when you get emphatic. You know, I hear people say in my day. He said they say, "Well, I could have swore that such and such was true, but the evidence is there; it wasn't true." Jesus says, "Simply let's let's get re- simply just say yes or no, and stop with that." And if you're a person of a character, as Jesus is teaching here, your yes and no will carry weight. People will learn that. When you say yes, you know when Kervin says he's going to be there to clean your carpet at 9 o'clock, he's there. You don't have to worry about it, right? See, you say yes or no. Then he goes on, verses 38 to 42, about... Uh, retaliation, an eye for an eye, a tooth for tooth. And there again, see, you have heard, it hath been said, and that was that was a real important truth to them in the Old Testament dispensation, because they had the right, they felt they had the privilege, if somebody... Did something bad to them, they would do something equally bad back. And I think that's why it says, eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. If they knocked out your tooth, you were not supposed to take their head off. Right? See, that's the way people like to do. They like to make good measure when they return. But Jesus was saying that this needs I mean the old testament law says but now Jesus is saying in verse 39, don't resist evil. So turn turn the other cheek. Don't resist evil. Show love. And the Holy Spirit will guide us and we we can pray for wisdom. Here it says love your enemies. <clears throat> we'll back up to the other one, verse 42. Says, "Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn thou not away." And so the question comes up in our day: Well, I see these professional beggars beside the road. Am I supposed to give to them? Because you know you've heard these stories about how people track these professional beggars, and they got an expensive cars sitting behind the bushes and all that stuff. Okay, let's go back to whatever Jesus says unto you do it. Be tuned to the Holy Spirit. Ask Jesus whether you should give to this particular person or not. Let him guide you by his Spirit through situations, circumstances, or your internal feelings. Then he goes on to say, love your enemies. Do good to those that hate you. And he, he, he refers to his heavenly father here. He says, your father in heaven makes the sun shine on the evil and on the good. He's saying Jesus does that. Also, in Luke chapter 6, it's referring to God, the father. And he said that he, met, he is... Kind to the unthankful and to the evil. Imagine that. That God the Father is kind to people that curse and hate His Son, Jesus Christ. And people that are atheists and do all kinds of evil, it's still saying God is kind to them. And so take lessons. That's what Jesus is telling to us now we go into chapter 6 now chapter 6 is a practical everyday life is what I'm going to call it giving us direction in everyday life and so chapter 6 1 to 4 he's saying that you know we need to be giving as righteous do not do our deeds publicly don't blow a trumpet when you're putting money in the offering one time we was in Lynchburg and Jerry Falwell the preacher that started Liberty University and all that stuff he said okay we're going to take up an offering now and here I got a hundred dollar bill I'm going to get this started And He put it in the offering plate. See, Jesus is saying, don't do that. He said, give in secret. Give discreetly. And those people that do this $100 bill, they they got their reward right there and that's it. That's what the Scripture is saying. And your Father, which knows... All in secret will reward you openly. Then Jesus moves on to prayer. See, this is this is practical. And he says, when you pray, don't uh, draw attention to your prayers. Pray from your closet. And did you know the Lord's Prayer is in here? It says. And, and see, he says, he's teaching the people. He says, after this manner pray... Our Father which art in heaven. And did you know there's only two things in the Lord's Prayer that you and I should be really concerned about. Don't be concerned about your daily bread. That's real low priority. What you should be concerned about is in verse 10. It says, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you pray that when you pray the Lord's Prayer. How is God's will done in heaven? Okay, it's done perfectly. How is Who's doing God's will on earth? You're praying that God's will on earth is going to be done the same way God's will is done in heaven. And who's doing it on earth? Well, you're supposed to be doing it on earth. Are you doing it perfectly like it's done in heaven? See, that's something we need to work on. And the second thing is, in verse 12, it says, Forgive us as we forgive our debtors. And and Jesus goes on after this prayer and elaborates on that. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Heavenly Father forgive you. So I maintain those are the two important things in the Lord's prayer you need to pay attention to. Don't worry, and you don't need to worry about your daily bread, because if you if you do God's will on earth as it's done in heaven, and if you forgive everyone that has anything against you, then then you're good. Okay. Then he goes on to. To to fasting, again, this is to be sincere fasting before God and not making a show about it. You know, some people fast, I think, to, to, well, no, I don't think, I know. They fast to lose weight and they're hoping that the blessing of God will piggyback on that as a spiritual thing. I mean, it's okay to lose weight. And I did. I have done that. But, but just don't fast to lose weight to think that we're going to get the blessing of God. It just by that aspect. But our fasting needs to be in our pursuing God and His righteousness. Then he goes on to talk about treasures in heaven. And says, Where your treasure is, there will your heart be. And you cannot serve two masters, God and money. You can't do it. And and Jesus is pointing that out. And it's just amazing. In these three chapters, 112 verses, and I read where somebody said it only takes 18 minutes to read the Sermon on the Mount. Now you have 18 minutes. And and if you want to meditate on it, just double that. So I'll give you 36 minutes. You should do that. Read the Sermon on the Mount and just under the blessing of Jesus talking to you. And so he talks about these treasures on earth and that we're not to worry. And did you know the greater that I, the possessions, the more money we have, the our tendency to worry is greater. And questions like this come to our mind. Will someone else get some of what I own? Or will it be safe? And what will happen to it when I'm gone? Well Jesus said, "Look at the birds. Do they worry? and And their heavenly Father feedeth them. So when we leave this world, we're going to leave with nothing, just like when we came, in in reference to treasures. And so we should distribute our wealth. Or we should give direction beforehand to, that we will be laying up treasures in heaven because we're not going to take anything with us. And we need to keep moving. But at the end of chapter six, this of verse thirty-three. It says, "But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness." and all these things will be added unto you. And another exercise that's good to do is start right there sometime in a Bible study. Start at the end of chapter 6 and look for those two things and go backwards up through chapter 6 to the beginning of the chapter and look for those two things. What does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God? And second, what are all the things that are going to be added unto you? That that would be a good Bible study. Start at the end of chapter 6 and work your way up. Now, we come into chapter 7, talking about judging others. And in this chapter, I'm proposing that he's giving direction for our spiritual good. See, in the beginning, he started out with the Beatitudes. In the middle chapter, he's talking about practical things. And now he's talking about things for our spiritual good. Don't be quick to judge others because there will be judging you. And we should try to encourage others. Give them the benefit of the doubt, at least in the beginning of the problem and pray whatever he's and whatever he says unto you uh, do it then in the next verses uh, verses 7 to 12 talks about prayer and the golden rule verse 8 notice verse 8 i hear i hear in the background persistence for whose for everyone who keeps asking, that's not just today, that's not tomorrow, that's not the next day, but keeps asking, receives, and he who keeps on seeking will find, keeps, every you keep. And the third thing is, you keep knocking, and it will be open unto you. Don't give up. Be diligent. Then it talks about the golden rule here. And why is it so hard to practice the golden rule? It says the golden rule is the sum or the total of the law and the prophets from the Old Testament. It says that's the total. And so here we have it today, the golden rule. And it's real simple. You know why I think one reason it's so hard to practice the golden rules is because self gets in the way. Self focuses on our self. And like I've said before, if you want one word to describe Jesus and his life and his ministry, his return to heaven, all you need is, is one word and that's others. That's why, that's why he came to earth. It was for the sake of you and me because we're others That's why He had ministry on the earth. That's why He died on the cross. That's why He's interceding at the Father in the heaven right now. For others. And that's why when we get to heaven, you're going to see the nail scarred in His hands. Because it was for others. Now He goes on to talk about the narrow and the wide gate. And heaven can only be entered through the narrow gate and the, and the uh, theology of that is and uh, maybe the spiritual implications is the gate is narrow you've got to get rid of your burdens you have to be, be saved you have to lay down all, everything that's dear to you to get through that narrow gate it's like my wife and I on the tour we was going through Hezekiah's tunnel a tunnel Hezekiah's tunnel was, was dark You had to have a flashlight. And it was so narrow that only one person could get through at a time. You couldn't have stuff with you. Then he goes on to talk about the tree and the fruit. And Jesus says, looking what our life produces, the way to identify a tree or a person is by the kind of fruit and verse 21 says, says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom, but he that doeth the will of my Father. And then he con- at the end of chapter 7, he, he contrasts the wise and the foolish. And you know who are Wise. All the people that are wise are those that listen to what Jesus says and follows His instruction. And those that are foolish ignore what Jesus says. May we be blessed as we read the Word and consider it as Jesus speaking to us through the Holy Spirit. Shall we sing?